Section 28 of A Popular History of France, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kathy Barrett. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 4, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 31. Henry the Second. 1547 to 1559, Part 2. It was not long coming. At the close of 1551, a deputation of the Protestant princes of Germany came to Fontainebleau to ask for the king's support against the aggressive and persecuting despotism of Charles V. The Count of Nassau made a speech, quote, very long, says Vieville in his memoir, at the same time that it was in very elegant language, whereby all the presents received very great contentment. Next day, the king put the demand before his council for consideration, and expressed at the very outset his own opinion that, quote, in the present state of affairs, he ought not to take up any enterprise, but leave his subjects of all conditions to rest, for generally, said he, all have suffered and do suffer when armies pass and repass so often through my kingdom, which cannot be done without pitiable oppression and trampling down of the poor people. Unquote. The constable, quote, without respect of persons, says Vieville, following his custom of not giving way to anybody, forthwith began to speak, saying that the king, who asked counsel of them, had very plainly given it them himself, and made them very clearly to understand his own idea, which ought to be followed point by point without any gainsaying, he having said nothing but what was most equitable and well known to the company. End quote. Nearly all the members of the council gave in their adhesion, without comment, to the opinion of the king and the constable. Quote, but when it came to the turn of M. de Veyville, who had adopted the language of the court of Nassau, end quote, he unhesitatingly expressed a contrary opinion, unfolding all the reasons which the king had for being distrustful of the emperor, and for not letting this chance of enfeebling him slip by. Quote, May it please your majesty, said he, to remember his late passage through France, to obtain which the emperor submitted to carte blanche. Nevertheless, when he was well out of the kingdom, he laughed at all his promises, and when he found himself inside Cambrai, he said to the prince of Infantado, let not the king of France, if he be wise, put himself at my mercy, as I have been at his, for I swear by the living God that he shall not be quit for Burgundy and Champagne, but I would also insist upon Picardy and the key of the road to the Bastille of Paris, unless he were minded to lose his life, or be confined in perpetual imprisonment, until the whole of my wish were accomplished. Since thus it is, sir, and the emperor makes war upon you covertly, it must be made upon him overtly, without concealing one's game or dissimulating at all. No excuses must be allowed on the score of neediness, for France is inexhaustible if only by voluntary loans raised on the most comfortable classes of the realm. As for me, I consider myself one of the poorest of the company, or at any rate one of the least comfortable, but yet I have some fifteen thousand francs worth of plate, dinner and dessert, white and red, silver and gold, which I hereby offer to place in the hands of whomsoever you shall appoint, in order to contribute to the expenses of so laudable an enterprise as this. Putting off, moreover, for the present, the communication to you of a certain secret matter which one of the chiefs of this embassy hath told me, and I am certain that when you have discovered it, 
you will employ all your might and means to carry out that which I propose to you. End quote. The king asked Vieville what this secret matter was which he was keeping back. Quote, if it please your majesty to withdraw a part, I will tell it you, said Vieville. All the council rose, and Vieville, approaching his majesty, who called the constable only to his side, said, quote, Sir, you are well aware how the emperor got himself possessed of the imperial cities of Cambrai, Utrecht, and Liege, which he has incorporated with his own countship of Flanders, to the great detriment of the whole of Germany. The electoral princes of the Holy Empire have discovered that he has a project in his mind of doing just the same with the imperial cities of Metz, Strasbourg, Toul, Verdun, and such other towns on the Rhine as he shall be able to get hold of. They have secretly adopted the idea of throwing themselves upon your resources, without which they cannot stop this detestable design, which would be the total ruin of the empire and a manifest loss to your kingdom. Wherefore, take possession of the said towns, since opportunity offers, which will be about forty leagues of country gained without the loss of a single man, and an impregnable rampart for Champagne and Picardy, and besides, a fine and perfectly open road into the heart of the Duchy of Luxembourg and the districts below it as far as Brussels. End quote. However pacific the king's first words had been, and whatever was the influence of the constable, the proposal of Vieville had a great effect upon the council. The king showed great readiness to adopt it. Quote, I think, said he to the constable, that I was inspired of God when I created Vieville of my council to-day. I only gave the opinion I did, replied Montmorency, in order to support the king's sentiments. Let your majesty give what orders you please. End quote. The king loudly proclaimed his resolve. Quote, then let every one, he said, be ready at an early date, with equipment according to his ability and means, to follow me, hoping, with God's help, that all will go well for the discomfiture of so pernicious a foe of my kingdom and nation, and one who revels and delights in tormenting all manner of folks without regard for any. End quote. There was a general enthusiasm. The place of meeting for the army was appointed at Chalons-sur-Marne, March 10, 1552. More than a thousand gentlemen flocked thither as volunteers. Peasants and mechanics from Champagne and Picardy joined them. The war was popular. Quote, the majority of the soldiers, says Rabutin, a contemporary chronicler, were young men whose brains were on fire. End quote. Francis de Guise and Gaspard de Coligny were their chief leaders. The king entered Lorraine from Champagne by Joinville, the ordinary residence of the Dukes of Guise. He carried Pont-à-Mousson. Toul opened its gates to him on the 13th of April. He occupied Nancy on the 14th, and on the 18th he entered Metz, not without some hesitation amongst a portion of the inhabitants and the necessity of a certain show of military force on the part of the leaders of the royal army. The king would have given the command of this important place to Vieilleville, but he refused it, saying, quote, I humbly thank your majesty, but I do not think that you should establish in Metz any governor in your own name, but leave that duty to the mayor and sheriffs of the city, under whose orders the eight captains of the old train-bands, who will remain there with their companies, will be. End quote. Quote, how say you, said the king, can I leave a foreign lieutenant in a foreign country, whose oath of fidelity I have only had within the last twenty-four hours, and with all the difficulties and disputes in the world to meet, too? 
Quote, Sir, rejoined Vieville, to fear that this master sheriff, whose name is Talange, might possibly do you a bad turn, is to wrongly estimate his own competence, who never put his nose anywhere but into a bar-parlour to drink himself drunk. And it is also to show distrust of the excellent means you have for preventing all the ruses and artifices that might be invented to throw your service into confusion. End quote. The king acquiesced, but not without anxiety, in Vieville's refusal, and, leaving at Metz as governor, a relative of the constables, whom the latter warmly recommended to him, he set out on the 22nd of April, 1552, with all his household, to go and attempt in Alsace the same process that he had already carried out in Lorraine. Quote, but when we had entered upon the territory of Germany, says Vieville, our Frenchmen at once showed their insolence in their very first quarters, which so alarmed all the rest, that we never found from that moment a single man to speak to, and as long as the expedition lasted, there never appeared a soul with his provisions to sell on the road, whereby the army suffered infinite privations. This misfortune began with us at the approach to Saverne, or Tzabern, the episcopal residence of Strasbourg. End quote. When the king arrived before Strasbourg, he found the gates closed, and the only offer to open them was on the condition that he should enter alone with forty persons for his whole suite. The constable, having taken a rash fit, was of opinion that he should enter even on this condition. This advice was considered by his majesty to be very sound, as well as by the princes and lords who were about him, according to the natural tendency of the Frenchman, who is always for seconding and applauding what is said by the great." But Vieville, on being summoned to the king's quarters, opposed it strongly. Quote, Sir, said he, break this purpose, for in carrying it out you are in danger of incurring some very evil and very shameful fate. And should that happen, what will become of your army which will be left without head, prince or captain, and in a strange country, wherein we are already looked upon with ill-will because of our insolence and indiscretions, as for me, I am off again to my quarters, to quaff and laugh with my two hundred men-at-arms, in readiness to march when your standard is afield, but not thither. Nothing has a greater effect upon weak and undecided minds than the firm language of men resolved to do as they say. The king gave up the idea of entering Strasbourg, and retired well pleased nevertheless, for he was in possession of Metz, Toul, Verdun, and Pont-à-Mousson, the keys for France into Germany, and at the head of an army under young commanders who were enterprising without being blindly rash. Charles V also had to know what necessity was, and to submit to it, without renouncing the totality of his designs. On the 2nd of August, 1552, he signed at Passau, with the Protestant princes, the celebrated treaty known under the name of, quote, Treaty of Public Peace. End quote, which referred the great questions of German pacification to a general diet to be assembled in six months, and declared that pending definitive conciliation, the two religions should be on an equal footing in the empire, that is, that the princes and free towns should have the supreme regulation of religious matters amongst themselves. Charles V thus recovered full liberty of action in his relations with France, and could no longer think of anything but how to recover the important towns he had lost in Lorraine. Henry II, on the other hand, who was asked by his Protestant allies on what conditions he would accept the peace of Passau, replied that at no price would he dispossess himself of the three bishoprics of Lorraine, and that he would for his part continue the contest he had undertaken for the liberation of Germany. 
The siege of Metz then became the great question of the day. Charles V made all his preparations to conduct it on an immense scale, and Henry II immediately ordered Francis de Guise to go and defend his new conquest at all hazards. Ambition which is really great accepts with joy great perils fraught with great opportunities. Guise wrote to Henry II's favorite, Diana de Poitiers, Duchess of Valentinois, to thank her for having helped to obtain for him this favor, which was about to bring him, quote, to the emperor's very beard. End quote. He set out at once, first of all to Toul, where the plague prevailed, and where he wished to hurry on the repair of the ramparts. Money was wanting to pay the working corps, and he himself advanced the necessary sum. On arriving at Metz on the 17th of August, 1552, he found there only twelve companies of infantry, new levies, and every evening he drilled them himself in front of his quarters. A host of volunteers, great lords, simple gentlemen, and rich and brave burgesses, soon came to him, quote, eager to aid him in repelling the greatest and most powerful effort ever made by the emperor against their country and their king, End quote. This concourse of warriors, the majority of them well known and several of them distinguished, redoubled the confidence and ardor of the rank and file in the army. We find, under the title of Chanson faite en 1552 par un soldat étant Metz en guérison, this couplet My Lord of Guise is here at home, with many a noble at his side, with the two children of Vendome, with bold Nemours in all his pride and Strozzi, too, a warrior tried, who ceases not by night or day around the city walls to stride, and strengthen Metz in every way. Peter Strozzi, quote, the man in all the world, says Brantome, who could best arrange and order battles and battalions, and could best post them to his advantage, end quote. To put into condition the tottering fortifications of Metz, and to have the place well supplied, was the first task undertaken by its indefatigable governor. He never ceased to meet the calls upon him, either in person or in purse. He was seen directing the workmen, taking his meals with them, and setting them a good example by carrying the hod for several hours. He frequently went out on horseback to reconnoitre the country, visit the points of approach and lodgment that the enemy might make use of around the town, and take measures of precaution at the places whereby they might do harm, as well as at those where it would be not only advantageous for the French to make sallies or to set ambuscades, but also to secure a retreat. Charles V, naturally slow as he was in his operations no less than in his resolves, gave the activity of Guise time to bear fruit. Quote, I mean to batter the town of Metz in such style as to knock it about the ears of M. de Guise, said he at the end of August 1552, and I make small account of the other places that the king may have beyond that. On the 15th of September following, Charles was still fifteen leagues from Metz, on the territory of Deux Ponts, and it was only on the 19th of October that the Duke of Alba, his captain-general, arrived with 24,000 men, the advance guard, within a league of the place which it is said was to be ultimately besieged by one hundred thousand foot, twenty-three thousand horse, one hundred twenty pieces of artillery, and seven thousand pioneers. Quote, After one and the first encounter, says a journal of the siege, the enemy held our soldiers in good repute, not having seen them for any sort of danger, advance, or retreat, save as men of war and of assured courage. 
which was an advantage, for M. de Guise knew well that at the commencement of a war it was requisite that a leader should try, as much as ever he could, to win. It was only on the 20th of November that Charles V, ill of gout at Thionville and unable to stand on his legs, perceived the necessity of being present in person at the siege, and appeared before Metz on an Arab horse, with his face pale and worn, his eyes sunk in his head, and his beard white. At sight of him, there was a most tremendous salute of arquebuses and artillery, the noise of which brought the whole town to arms. The emperor, whilst waiting to establish himself at the castle of La Hogne, took up his quarters near the Duke of Alva, in a little wooden house built out of the ruins of the Abbey of St. Clement. Quote, a beautiful palace, said he, when the keys of Metz are brought to me there. End quote. From the 20th to the 26th, the attack was continued with redoubled vigor. Fourteen thousand cannon-shots were fired, it is said, in a single day. Guise had remarked that the enemy seemed preparing to direct the principal assault against a point so strong that nobody had thought of pulling down the houses in its vicinity. This oversight was immediately repaired, and a stout wall, the height of a man, made out of the ruins. Quote, "'If they send us peas,' said Guise, "'we will give them black beans, or we will give them at least as good as they bring.'" On the 26th of November, the old wall was battered by a formidable artillery, and breached in three places, it crumbled down on the 28th into the ditch, quote, at the same time making it difficult to climb for to come to the assault, end quote. The assailants uttered shouts of joy, but when the cloud of dust had cleared off, they saw a fresh rampart eight feet in height above the breach, quote, and they experienced as much and even more disgust than they had felt pleasure at seeing the wall tumble, end quote. The besieged heaped mockery and insult upon them, but Guise, quote, imperatively put a stop to the disturbance, fearing, it is said, lest some traitor should take advantage of it to give the assailants some advice, and the soldiers then conceived the idea of sticking upon the points of their pikes live cats, the cries of which seemed to show derision of the enemy. End quote. The siege went on for a month longer without making any more impression and the imperial troops kicked against any fresh assaults. Quote, I was wont once upon a time to be followed to battle, Charles V would say, but I see that I have no longer men about me. I must bid farewell to the empire, and go shut myself up in some monastery. Before three years are over I shall turn cordelier. End quote. Whilst Metz was still holding out, the fortress of Toul was summoned by the imperialists to open its gates. But the commandant replied, quote, When the town of Metz has been taken, when I have had the honor of being besieged in due form by the emperor, and when I have made as long a defense as the Duke of Guise has, such a summons may be addressed to me, and I will consider what I am to do. End quote. On the 26th of December, 1552, the 65th day since the arrival of the imperial army, and the 45th since the batteries had opened fire, Charles V resolved to raise the siege. Quote, I see very well, said he, that fortune resembles women. She prefers a young king to an old emperor. End quote. His army filed off by night, in silence, leaving behind its munitions and its tents, just as they stood, quote, driven away, almost, by the chastisement of heaven, says the contemporary chronicler Rabutin, with but two shots by way of signal. End quote. The ditty of the soldier just quoted ends thus. At last, so stout was her defence, from Metz they moved their guns away, 
and with the laugh at their expense, a tramping went their whole array. And at their tail the noble lord of Guise sent forth a goodly throng of cavalry with lance and sword, to teach them how to tramp along. Guise was far from expecting so sudden and decisive a result. Quote, Sing me no more flattering strains in your letters about the Emperor's dislodgment hence, he wrote on the 24th of December to his brother the Cardinal of Lorraine. Take it for certain that unless we be very much mistaken in him, he will not, as long as he has life, brook the shame of departing hence until he has seen it all out. End, quote. End of section 28